Father, we pray that would happen here in Beaver Dam. We pray that would happen here in this church. Father, we pray that would happen in each one of our hearts. That you would work in our hearts to draw us to yourself in such a powerful way that we would give our lives to you willingly, wholeheartedly, lay down our lives and follow you. Father, even those of us who followed you for many years, Lord, work in our hearts to again help us to lay our lives more fully down and follow you. And bring revival here and help it to spread. Father, that's why we come to your word this morning because we know we want, we need revival in our own hearts. We know your words have life and power to transform our lives and and to equip us and, and to guide us in this world. Father, we come to your word because we want to be corrected. We want to be rebuked. We want to be led and guided in this life so that our lives would bring glory and honor to you. And so, Father, we pray that you would do that now as we come to your word. We pray that you would correct us where we need to be corrected that you would encourage us where we need to be encouraged, that you would guide us and train us and equip us where we needed to be trained and equipped. But ultimately, Father, we pray that you would receive glory and honor as we listen to you speak to us through your word. And so, Father, we pray that you would speak clearly and powerfully to each one of us this morning. May your word truly cut us to the heart. And may we, may we follow you. Father, we pray that you would open our ears to hear, our eyes to see, and our hearts to receive what you have to say to us this morning. And all God's people said, amen. Well, we are at the end of John chapter 5, and so if you... uh, have your Bibles with you, or if you want to grab one of the Bibles in front of you, you can open it up to John chapter 5 right at the end. Otherwise, the passage will be up on the screen, but I always encourage us, um, it's good to have your Bibles open because then you can see the whole passage. I heard a line this morning, too, as I I always, um, you know, it's hard as a pastor, you don't have people preaching to you all the time. And so I, I have pastors that I listen to preach my passage to me before I come to church. And the one pastor said something about Baptist air conditioning. Have you ever heard that line before? I had never heard that line before. He said, we go into a Baptist church and there's so much wind moving around from them flipping through the pages of their Bibles. I was like, that's good. He said, "Uh, us Presbyterian and Reformed people need need to do more of that. We need to have more Baptist air conditioning in our churches. So, Anyway, so it's good to have your Bible in front of you, even though the text will be up on the screen um, so you can follow along. Uh, John chapter 5, verses 31 through 47. And this is Jesus speaking to the Jewish leaders. If I testify about myself, my testimony is not valid. There's another who testifies in my favor, and I know that his testimony about me is valid. You have sent to John, and he has testified to the truth. Not that I accept human testimony, but I mention it so that you may be saved. John was a lamp that burned and gave light, 
And you chose for a time to enjoy his light. I have testimony weightier than that of John. For the very work that the Father has given me to finish, and which I'm doing, testify that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice, nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. You diligently seek the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. I do not accept praise from men, but I I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. I've come in my Father's name and you do not accept me. But if someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. How can you believe, since you accept praise from one another, yet make no effort to obtain the praise that comes from the only God? But do not think I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom your hopes are set. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? Some strong words um, from Jesus. Uh, you know, I think I've, I've mentioned probably multiple times that um, when I was in youth ministry, um, the majority of the kids in, in our youth group were, were non-Christian, non-Christian students. And, and also when I started in our youth ministry, um, I was an immature Christian and a very immature leader. <laughs> And uh, the combination of being an immature Christian and leader and, and having a group of, of non-Christian kids cre- created this massive level of anxiety and frustration in me. Uh, because, because on the one hand, I, I had this group of kids in front of me that I loved. And, and I wanted to see these kids turn from walking down the path of destruction that they were on. I wanted to see them turn and grab hold of Jesus Christ, be cleansed and, and, and forgiven, and then start walking down the path of life. And I wanted to see that. I mean, let's be honest. That's why I do everything I do. <laughs> I still want that for all of you and for the people in Beaver Dam and wherever. Um, that's, that's why I do that. But but when I was a, a kind of a young, immature Christian, I, I had this, this weight on me that I felt like it was up to me uh, to make it happen in them. And, and I thought, if I just say the, the right words, um, and if I just do the right things, then they'll believe. But then they weren't, some of them weren't believing. And I thought, God, am I a failure? Why, why won't they believe? You know, and, and I felt all this heavy pressure because I thought it was all up to me. If I said the right words, if I did the right things, if I just loved them the right way, they would believe. And eventually, it's, it's a pretty hard realization to come to. Um, eventually, I realized it actually, for some of them, it didn't matter if I said the right words, did the right things, loved them as much as I could, um, how boldly I proclaimed the gospel, 
um, some of them would still never believe. That's hard. Um, and and I, could, I, could spend, I could spend weeks and months probably explaining that and talking about that. Um, but what I want to do this morning is Jesus, in this passage, he gives us two different reasons why people won't believe. And so I just want to talk about those two reasons. Um, but there's, you know, about 500. <laughs> But, but this is what Jesus says. And, and one, of the, one of the reasons he gives, I'm just, I want to set the stage a little so that when we dive into the passage, you kind of understand where he's going. One of the reasons he gives us for why people won't believe is uh, hypocrisy. And, and I say, I hear that a lot, and, and I want you to know, like when I talk about hypocrisy in the church, I, um, I mean something different. than you know, A lot of times I'll run into people who will kind of make an accusation about, well, the church is full of hypocrites. You guys all think you're perfect, and, and you're not perfect, and so you're a bunch of hypocrites. And I'm like, actually, that's not what we believe. <laughs> we believe that what we just read this morning, that we fall short all the time. We never measure up. We are a bunch of sinners who are saved by grace, and so the church is always going to be full of imperfect people. That's actually what we believe. Um, so that's not hypocritical. That's just the way it is. That actually is living in accordance with what we believe. But, but at the core of what hypocrisy is, is saying you believe one thing and not actually believing that thing. Or saying you believe this, but then not, not living in accordance with that. And uh, what, what Jesus is pointing out in this passage, I hope we'll see eventually, is he's, he's pointing out that there's this hypocrisy amongst these leaders around God's word. And he says, you actually say you believe God's word, but you don't actually believe it. And uh, we see that. We see that a lot today. We, you know, we talk to lots of people. I, I talk to a lot of people. And they say, of course we believe this is God's word. Of course we believe it's authoritative. Of course we believe that, that the Bible is a guide for us life, showing us how to walk paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Of course we believe that. But then we say we believe that, and then we know we walk out, and then we kind of pick and choose which parts we want to believe and we don't want to believe. Or we want to follow. You know, we kind of, like, this part might cause some problems with people around me, and so we're just going to ignore that part. Because, but if we actually believe God's Word's authoritative, we, we don't get to ignore that part. And so, Jesus points out, like, that kind of thing, when, when we say we believe something, but we don't actually believe it, or we don't actually live according to it, um, that actually hinders people from faith in Jesus. It, it, it hardens your heart. Um, hypocrisy hardens your heart, but it also kind of spreads to those around us, right? Because it, uh, people see this. Uh, this is one of the things I loved about youth ministry. There, there's, there is a total BS filter amongst teenagers. And, and they know, like they see right through you. They'll say, you don't actually believe what you think you believe. You say it, but you don't, they'll, and they'll call you on it. And why would they believe in something that you say you believe but don't actually believe, right? 
And so it not only hinders you from coming to Jesus, it hinders other people from coming to Jesus as well. And so hypocrisy is one of the things that Jesus talks about. Um, but even underneath the hypocrisy, he, he gets to something else. I think it's really closely connected to this other one. He talks about loving the glory and honor and recognition of other people. And he says, how can you believe if you live looking for the glory and honor and the recognition of other people? Like that hinders your, your faith. Um, and we see this in, in different ways. A lot of times that, that kind of looking for the glory and recognition from other people, what that often manifests in just a real easy way to see it is just fear. And so I, I've encountered a number of people where I've been talking to them about like turning from their life of sin and turning, grabbing hold of Jesus, and they're like, I just can't do that. If I did that, everyone would think I'm a fool. So I'm not going to do that because I'm afraid of what people will think of me or I'm afraid of being mocked and, and ridiculed. And so that is being controlled by other people's opinion. It's seeking praise and glory and, and honor from, from other people. And Jesus says, how can you believe? That, that hinders people from faith. And so Jesus says these, these two things, and, and we're going to see this as we go through, these two things hinder people from believing. Hypocrisy hardens hearts, um, and then the love of other people's opinions. And, and one of the crazy things I realized, and this was one of the things that, that helped me, um, I suppose, mature as a leader, is I recognized that, that even Jesus' witness in the world wasn't good enough, good enough to overcome these, these two hindrances. I mean, it's, it's pretty incredible to think about. I mean, Jesus lived perfectly. He spoke perfectly. He loved perfectly. He rebuked perfectly. He did all of things perfectly, and still people hated him. And they never believed, and they actually killed him. And so even his perfect witness wasn't good enough necessarily to over, overcome these. Um, and, and, and this is what he's talking to about with these Jewish leaders. He, he starts off and he says, Okay, leaders, you, you, sent, you sent to John, John the Baptist. He bore witness to the truth, right? He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. And so, remember, the Jewish leaders are coming after Jesus, saying, like, you're claiming to make yourself the Son of God. You're claiming all of these things. And Jesus is like, okay, well, John has, was witnessing about these things. John the Baptist was, and you actually kind of liked John the Baptist. He was a burning and shining lamp. He was, he was a witness who was so hot and bright that it shone throughout all of Israel and people were coming from from all over the place to hear John's witness and they were they were excited about what John was saying and he was a fiery man telling people repent and believe and, and you guys were willing to rejoice in John but notice the the word for a while you believed him you were interested in him for a while but John's witness wasn't, wasn't good enough for them. So Jesus says, well, there's another witness that's even better than John. He says that the testimony that I have, that's greater than that of John the Baptist. 
the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I'm doing, like the healing of this man that you're so mad about, those works, they bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And so Jesus is saying, okay, I get it. John the Baptist's witness, not good enough for you. Okay, I'll, here's a greater witness to you about who I am. Look at my life. Look at what I've done. Look at, I, I healed this man who was an invalid for 38 years. I healed the official son from 20 miles away. I've, I've done these miracles. These miracles are a greater witness than John the Baptist, and they are clearly telling you that I've been sent from the Father, that I'm the Messiah. But that witness isn't good enough either. So Jesus ramps it up another notch. He goes, okay. The Father who sent me, he's been bearing witness about me. Or actually there, there. There's another who bears witness about me, and I know that the witness that he bears about me, that witness is true. The Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. Right? So Jesus says, okay, John the Baptist witness, not good enough for you? Fine, I'll give you another one. Look at my life and my works. Okay, that one's not good enough for you? How about the Father? <laughs> The God who created the heavens and the earth. Like, is there any witness higher than the Father? No. And he says, okay, the Father himself has borne witness about me. Is that good enough for you? The answer we'll get to is no. And and what's really powerful about this, it's important to to kind of catch what Jesus is saying. Uh, That last line... um, I don't talk about Greek a lot, but it's important to catch some of the, the Greek. It, there's a, a unique way that it's worded that it doesn't translate into English well. And it could be translated this. The Father who sent me has himself been bearing witness about me. And so it's not like Jesus is saying the Father bore witness about me in the past. No, he has been bearing witness. The Father has been bearing witness about me in the past, and the Father is bearing witness about me now in the future. Like, this hasn't been a one-time thing. It has been happening for a long time, and it's still happening right now in front of you. The Father has been pointing to me. And what Jesus is saying is, and we'll get to this as we get on, he's saying the entire Old Testament was the Father's witness about me. From Genesis to Malachi, the Father was saying, Look at Jesus. Um, At Jesus' baptism, the Father audibly spoke and said, This is my Son, of whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Um, And then Jesus just got done saying, Everything I say and everything I do is what? What the Father says and what the Father does. So he says, if you look at my life, the Father's bearing witness through me. Now the Father spoke audibly to you about me at my baptism. And the Father, for thousands of years, has been saying, look at me. Is that good enough for you? And the answer is, no. They still refuse to believe. All all of the perfect witnesses. And the question is, why? What's, What's going on? that causes them to refuse to accept Jesus' witness. Jesus tells us, he says, he speaks to them, the the Father's voice you've never heard. His form you've never seen. 
and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he sent. That's an ouch. That, that should be an ouch. He's looking at the Jewish leaders. These are the top scholars and teachers and pastors of the church. And he says, you've never heard the voice of God. You've never seen him. And you don't even have the word of God abiding in you. I mean, these are people who've devoted their lives to studying and memorizing and teaching and meditating on the word of God. And he says, you've actually never heard him and you've never, you don't even have his word in you. And he says, and I know that because you're not believing in me. Because the word's been talking about me. The word's been pointing to me. Uh, and that's why he goes on. He, he says, you guys, you, you search the scriptures. You, you study the Bible. You, you meditate on it because you think that in them you have eternal life. But it's me that they're bearing witness about. But you refuse to come to me for life. And, and what he's saying to these leaders is, he's like, I know you've devoted your life studying the word. I know, I mean, the Jewish leaders spent hours meditating and, and memorizing God's word. I mean, they still do. They have these little kids in the Jewish church. They can say like, tell me what Deuteronomy 5.16 is, and they will quote it to you. I mean, they know God's word, and he says, but you don't know it. You've memorized it, you've studied it, you've meditated on it, but, but you've missed the whole point, because the point has been me. And if you were really studying it, and if you were really meditating on it, and if you were really understanding it, you would see Jesus as the Messiah, as the Son of God. And he says, that's why you don't believe. And, and that's why Jesus says, that's why you've, you've ne- they've never heard the voice of God. That's why they've never seen God's face. That's why they don't have God's word abiding in them is because they actually haven't been reading and studying and meditating on God's word truly. They've been going through the motions. They've been doing all of the actions, but they haven't actually been reading the word because he said if you read it and you studied it and you meditated on it, you would see clearly that it's all been pointing to me. And so Jesus is saying to them, he's saying in a somewhat roundabout way, but pretty pointed way, he's saying, you guys are hypocrites. You say you believe God's word, but you don't believe what God's word tells you about me. You say you, you honor the Father, you believe the Father, but, but the Father is telling you in all these different ways that I'm his son and I'm the Messiah so you say you honor the Father, but you don't really believe him. And so you're being a hypocrite. You say you believe these things, but, but you don't actually believe these things. And Jesus says, that's, that's why you don't believe. Because you don't actually believe what you say you, you believe. And, and Jesus kind of comes at it. He takes it from a different angle. He's making the same point. He eventually says, don't think that I'll accuse you to the Father. There's one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you set your hope. 
For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? And it's almost like Jesus is saying, okay, I get it. You don't think I am who, who I say I am. You don't really care if I rebuke you and correct you. So I don't have to be the one to accuse you. Um, I'll let Moses do that. You respect Moses, right? You, you honor Moses, right? You, you, you set, Jesus says, you, they set their hope on Moses. You know, uh, to, uh, the pastor I listened to this morning said, it was Torah this, Torah that, Torah, Torah, Torah. Right? And it was they, they say they believe Moses. He says, okay, so I don't have to accuse you. Moses will accuse you. And Moses will come to you and say, you say you honor me? You say you believe me? I wrote about Jesus. <laughs> Do you honor him? No? Well, then you've missed the point of everything I've written. And so, Jesus saying, you say you believe Moses, but you don't believe him. You say you honor Moses, but you don't honor him. You say you put your hope in Moses, but you don't put your hope in the one whom Moses put his hope. And so Jesus says, "If, if you don't believe Moses, someone that you say you honor and revere and respect, how would you actually ever believe me, someone that you despise? And and that that line comes up twice, that how will you believe? Um, That's really at the the core of this passage. Jesus says, if you you don't believe Moses' writings, how will you believe what I'm saying to you? Um, Earlier in the passage, he says, to the Jewish leaders, I, I get it. If, if another person comes in his own name, uh, you receive him. But how can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Says, okay, how, how can you believe if you say you believe Moses but don't actually believe Moses? And then on the other hand, he says, how, how can you believe if if you're seeking glory and honor from everyone else, like someone else comes to you and they exalt themselves and they say, I'm great and powerful. And you're like, yeah, you're great and powerful. Come on in, listen to us. Like if someone comes in their own name and their own authority and their own power, you receive them because it helps kind of bolster you. But Jesus says, you don't receive me. How how can you believe when you're always seeking after glory and honor from, from someone else and you don't really care? about the glory of God. He's saying this is a hindrance to to our faith. And uh, I came across this quote this week, and and I want to encourage you, everybody. it, It just knocked me upside the head about Monday this week, and I've been thinking about it all week. Um, and I want to encourage you. You can, you can find, like, all of my sermons. I write them out, and there's probably a whole bunch of spelling errors. It's like a rough draft, but I just post them online anyways. And so, like, it's just easy. My name, jasonrice.com. You can find all my sermons there. Go there, find this quote, write it down, and meditate on it this week. I encourage you. Um, because I think this is really uh, powerful and important. It's, it's from John Calvin. He says this. This is a remarkable passage which teaches that the gate of faith is shut against all whose hearts are preoccupied by a vain desire of earthly glory. For he who wishes to be somebody in the world must become wandering and unsteady, 
so that he will have no inclination towards God. Never is a man prepared to obey the heavenly doctrine until he is convinced that his principal object throughout his whole life ought to be that he may be approved by God. Nothing. The base of faith is recognizing I am out there living for God's glory and honor, for God's approval, not the approval of anybody else. And he says, when we go out and we try to live for the approval of the world and everyone around us, he says, you're, you're tossed to and fro. You're like a wind in the waves. You're just thrown all over the place. You have no steadiness because people's opinions are always changing and, and you, you never will live up to it. And he says, um, and, then you, and if you do that, you'll never fully follow God because you'll be controlled by everything else. But he says, if, you're, if you recognize that your principal aim, your, your goal in life is God's approval of you and nobody else's, then you have this clear path laid out in front of you. And, and it changes how you live. And I'm saying, and I think Jesus is saying this, this is a requirement for true faith recognizing that now we are living only for the praise and glory and the approval of our God. And, and you know, the Apostle Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians. He, he says to the church, he says, Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he's wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. He said, like, we, we're all tempted to go out in the world and, and want everyone to look at us as being wise and smart and, and all of this. And he says, if that's your goal, is to have people look at you like that, you're deceiving yourself. Don't be fooled. It, it's not going to happen. So the only way for you to be really wise, not wise in the world's eyes, but really, truly wise, is to go out into the world and be ready to be called a fool. Not to be controlled by their opinions, but to go out into the world and be ready for them to say, you are a fool. And he says, if you're willing to do that, then you can truly be wise. Um, And that's like the psalm that we read at the beginning of the passage. That's why we're taught that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Recognizing God's approval, seeking that above all things, that's the beginning of wisdom. Um, And the beginning of foolishness is seeking everyone else's approval. And these things are the basis of what a true faith is. Jesus says, how can you believe if you say you believe the Bible, but you don't really believe it? And the answer is, you can't. How can you believe if you believe, say you believe the Bible, but you don't actually believe it? And he says, you, you can't. That's not true faith. A true faith doesn't, doesn't come to God's word kind of picking and choosing what we want to believe out of it or coming in over God's word as an authority figure over God's word, kind of acting like we're the smartest person that's ever lived and saying, well, I know what God's word really means and, and all those dumb people throughout history never really did understand. Like, that's not a true faith. True faith comes in with humility. True faith comes to God's word and says... I'm actually a weak, foolish person. And I'm easily led astray. And I'm easily controlled by everyone else's opinions. And so we come to God's word saying, help me. Guide me. 
correct me. Please rebuke me because I need help. Because apart from this, I'm, I'm toast. True faith comes to God's word looking for Jesus. Because Jesus said, I'm there. I'm on every page. I'm in every word of this Bible. I'm there and I'm offering you life. True faith comes in and says, Jesus, give me that life. Because I can't do this on my own. Jesus says, how can you believe when you're seeking glory and honor from one another and not seeking glory and honor of God? And the answer is, you can't. True faith doesn't go through life trying to elevate itself all the time. Trying to make everyone look at us as being powerful and worthy and great and and glorious. That's not true faith. That you'll be a tossed ship on the waves. Uh, True faith goes out into the world ready to be rejected and mocked and spit on. If that means if that means you have to live if you're living in a way that brings glory and honor to God, because God's approval in your eyes is way better than the approval of those around you. True faith goes into the world ready to be mocked, called fools, spit on, as long as they're willing to seek God's glory. That's true faith. That's actually life. Um, and, and Scripture Jesus, that's actually a better life to live than one being tossed to and fro and controlled by everyone's opinion. No, true life is, is finding that life in Christ and then just living and saying, I only want God's approval. Nobody else matters. And, and that's where the, this quote, and I think it's the core of this passage, um, where he reminds us, Calvin does, never is a man prepared to obey the heavenly doctrine unless he's convinced. That's principal object, his principal aim, your only goal in life, throughout all of life, is that you would be approved of by God. I, I want that to hang with us. I, I mean, that, let that be our only aim as, as we leave this morning that we'd be approved by God. Let that be the reason why you come to God's word. Not because it's something that we just do as Christians, not because it was something that your parents told you to do, but you come to God's word because I want to be approved by God. I want to be corrected by him. I want to be led by him. I want to be guided by him. I want to be forgiven by Christ. I want to be... I want to live in the world in a way that brings glory and honor and approval to God. So I'm coming to his word because I want that. Let that be the reason you do that. Let that be the reason you go to work tomorrow or you go raise your grandkids tomorrow or you go parent your children tomorrow. Not so that people would be like, oh, look at how great of a grandparent they are. Oh, how great of a parent they are. Or how great of a... No. Do that because you want to be approved of by God. And you want to bring glory and honor to him. And so you parent that way and you, you grandparent that way and you work that way because that's your aim. God's approval. Nobody else's. Be the reason why we come to church. You can easily come to church because this is what Christians do. I've been told that this is what I'm supposed to do. I feel guilty when I don't do it. Pastor calls sometimes and says, Hey, I haven't seen you for a while. And you're like, Oh, no. 
come because you want to be approved of by God. You want, to be, you want to bring glory and honor to God. You want to praise the God who is worthy of all praise. You, you want to be reminded of the forgiveness that you have in Christ. You, you want to be corrected and guided so that you can leave and go live a life that brings glory and honor to God, that's approved of by God. That's, that's why we come to church. It's also why we, we grab hold of Jesus by faith so that we'd be approved of by God. We, we turn to Christ by faith so that we could be cleansed, so we could be forgiven, so we could have the righteousness of Jesus Christ in us. That's the only way you can be approved of by God, is through Jesus Christ. But even more than that, we, we turn to Christ by faith so we can be cleansed, we can be forgiven, and then he says, I've cleansed you and I've forgiven you so that you would do what? And now you'd walk on the paths of righteousness. You would do the works that he's prepared for you to do, that you would go out then, living in that freedom, living in that forgiveness, to live a life that brings glory and honor to God, brings praise and honor to him. So we turn to Christ by faith so that we can be honored, approved of by God, and so that we can then live a life that is approved of by God. Let's come to him in faith, in prayer. Father, we, we do come into your presence keenly aware of our weaknesses and how far we fall short. Father, we, we each come to you, on, if we're honest with ourselves, recognizing that, that we have little hypocrites living in each one of us. We often say we believe things and don't live that way or don't actually believe those things. Father, we ask that you would forgive us for that hypocrisy. Father, we come to you admitting that we have this little voice in our head and in our hearts that, that's always longing for the approval and the praise of the world around us. And Father, we come and ask your forgiveness for that. We ask that you would forgive us for not living only for your glory and your honor and your praise. But Father, we, again, we want more than to be just forgiven. We, we want to live. We want to live the life that you've called us to live. We want to we be able to walk down paths of righteousness. We, wanna, we, wanna, we don't want to be controlled by other people's opinions. We just want to be controlled by your opinion. We want to live for your glory and your honor. We want to we hear your word. We want to read your word and, and be affected by it and live by it. So Father... We don't just want forgiveness. We want the power of your Holy Spirit in our lives to change our hearts so that we would actually believe what we believe and so that we would actually live in a way that seeks your glory and your honor above all things. And so, Father, Father, do that work in our hearts and send us out from here to live lives that are approved of by you and that bring glory and honor to you and that the world can see who you are and what you've done. And all God's people said, amen.